The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a stretch of level ground with a great crowd of his disciples and a large number of the people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. And raising his eyes toward his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you, and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day, for behold, your reward will be great in heaven, for their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. The Gospel of the Lord. past Thursday, February 10th, was the Feast of St. Scholastica. And that's a very important day for Benedictines because St. Scholastica was the twin sister of St. Benedict. We know even less about her than we do him. Both were born in 480 and died sometime in the 6th century. Benedict wrote the rule for monasteries in the West and started the first monastery, and it's believed that his sister Scholastica uh, was the first abbess for a community of nuns. Now, they had a unique custom. If you look to the screen, once a year, the two of them would get together at a neutral location, neither his monastery nor hers, and they would spend the day talking about spiritual matters. I suspect a little family gossip got woven in there too. Why not? But at their last meeting, Scholastica had a premonition that she would die in the near future. So she wanted to continue the conversation well into the night, forbidden in the rule. Benedict wouldn't hear of it. Absolutely not. He was rigid in his observance. He had to go back to his monastery. She was to go back to hers. 
So listen to how the, their biographer described the scene. Now the sky was so clear that not a cloud could be seen. When the nun heard her brother's refusal, she put her hands on the table with her fingers intertwined. Then she put her head on her hands to pray to Almighty God. When she raised her head from the table, there was such thunder and lightning and such a downpour of rain that neither Venerable Benedict nor the brothers who were with him could set foot outdoors. The nun, by bowing her head in her hands, flooded the table with tears and in this way changed a clear sky into rain. The rain did not follow long after her prayer, but the coincidence of the prayer and the downpour was such that the thunder roared when she raised her head and the rain fell as soon as she raised her head as well. When the man of God saw that he could not return to the monastery because of the thunder and lightning, because of the cloudburst, he was dismayed and said, God forgive you, sister. What have you done? She answered, Look, I asked you, and you wouldn't listen. So I asked my Lord, and he listened. Now, leave me if you can. Go back to your monastery. He could not, however, go outside the shelter, and so he was not willing to remain freely there, but had to remain against his will. And so it happened that they stayed up all night and they satisfied each other with holy discourse on the spiritual life. So you see the painting. If you look the window, you can see the lightning bolt, Benedict's pointing to it, chiding his sister, what have you done? Look at this. And she's very calm and poised. Go back if you want. Ha ha. Most monasteries of Benedictine men have some kind of depiction of that. Every Benedictine monastery of women have a depiction of that. And rightfully so, because as their biographer, Gregory the Great, said, it's not surprising that God heard Scholastica's prayer because she loved greatly. Her love was exalted beyond the rigid obedience of her brother Benedict. Now, for most of my Benedictine life, I always interpreted this scene as Scholastica causing the storm. Her prayer was so powerful that it could manipulate the weather. So she's the one that made the rain and the lightning and the thunder come. But that's not clear from the text. There could be another interpretation. And that would be that Scholastica just wanted to spend the night with her brother, 
someone she loved dearly, and she asked God to make that happen, and God caused the storm. So in one case, she's the direct cause, and the other, God is. Who knows? But stories like that are meant to be edifying. They're like parables, and they're metaphorical for all kinds of realities in our own lives. So, just as this storm kept those twins together for one last time, two people who loved each other dearly, could it be that there are times in our lives when the storms that erupt keep us connected to people we love, maybe even for the last time? And those storms can be symbolized by all sorts of realities. Any unpredictable, unplanned event that's beyond our control, that causes great hardship, that's a storm. Like a family crisis, a sudden sickness, the recognition of an addiction, an accident. Because as we know, frequently it's tragedy and misfortune that come and that cause a surge of compassion to rise in the hearts of people, especially for those whom they love. So if you are experiencing a storm in your life, or someone you know is, maybe that's an invitation to deepen your relationship with a loved one. Just as that storm kept Benedict and Scholastica connected, could some storm in your life be doing the same thing? There is a word of caution to this, however, because like most metaphors, if we push them too far, they become problematic in some ways. If we push this story too far, we end up asserting that God causes tragedy and hardship. That God is the source of the storms in our lives. Accidents, sicknesses, painful experiences. And that becomes a very slippery slope. Because then we can start blaming God for all kinds of things, as people have done historically. Years ago, during the AIDS crisis, people said that was God punishing gay people. Or the tragedy of 9-11. Some said that was God warning a world that had become corrupt and immoral. You see, I don't believe the God of love whom Jesus revealed acts in violent and vindictive ways. Ways that have no regard for human suffering, a God that orchestrates unspeakable atrocities just to show us who's in charge. I would maintain, however, that the storms in our lives, which God obviously allows because he respects our free will, that those storms can be powerful opportunities for God to act on our behalf in very creative, 
miraculous ways. As we so often hear it said, grace comes through the cracks, and it does. And I would also say that those stormy moments in all of our lives can be experiences that connect us to people or things that we love or once loved. People like family members, friends, colleagues, or things like the church, as imperfect as it is. Because I believe if we strive to be faith-filled people, doing the things that nurture our friendship with God, that when the storms erupt, and they will, we'll survive them. Remember always the words from the prophet Jeremiah from the first reading. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the waters that stretches out its roots to the stream. It fears not the heat when it comes. Its leaves stay green. In the year of drought, it shows no distress, but still bears fruit. Let us trust in the Lord and be like those trees planted by the life-giving waters that God offers us so that we can be sturdy, courageous, and always bearing fruit.